Hello, friend. Hey, hey, how's it going? It's going, it's going. It's hot as shit. Is it? Yeah, it's like really hot here. I think it's, I mean, it's it's pretty hot here. It's like 84, I think. So. It also doesn't help that all of the windows are closed. Yeah. But I have to do that because we're recording. So. And right. my air conditioning is like kind of messed up right now, so. Right. Makes my, sense. My, um, I'm recording with my brother's headset, so um, this is quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, you do look like a true gamer. I do, I do. He told me I could leave the fan on, and I tested it, and I couldn't hear it, so. Mm, I guess we'll Shout find out. Shout out to him. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? Trying to think. Any any new things going on? Actually, no. I do have something to say. I'm watching Survivor right now. As everybody knows, I'm on my Survivor journey. And right. I'm on season 34 right now, Game Changers. And I haven't finished it yet. You can see the finale on in the background. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And because Alicia texted me and I was like, shit, I have 15 minutes. Like, I just got so deep into it that I didn't even realize. Anyway, I just saw Ceri's exit. Mm-hmm. And I'm mad about it. Do you remember what happened? No. That I do not. basically everybody used an idol oh, on themselves. Yes. And yes. I do recall she was like this. the only person. And Jeff even says none of the names that anyone voted for were her. Oh my God, I just got so mad because I love her and I would do absolutely anything for her. I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. Suri is one of a kind. So yes, that's what I was just doing before this. I love that. I was uh, doing nothing. I love that for you. I was trying to figure this out because I have to record in my brother's room Mm. with his headset. So we were figuring that out. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I was I slept pretty late today because I was up pretty late last night writing my notes because that was a whole mm-hmm. ish. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So do we want to jump into it? Do you have anything you want to talk about? Well, this is Bookaholics Anonymous. <laughs> I <was just> about <laughs> to say. I'm Alicia. And I'm Francesca. And we remembered this week. We did. We did remember. I'm, I'm so proud of us. I know. I'm drinking a Bud Light right? Lime. Yes. Ooh. Because it was in my fridge, and I was, I, Matthew, I um actually did go out and was hanging out with Sadie briefly while we had work being done. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, do you want me to pick something up for lunch for you? So I was bringing it back and um, got into the fridge, and I was like, oh, I'm like, Dad, Matthew, don't tell Dad. I'm just going to take this. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't even tell my dad. I just take it. He doesn't, he doesn't even notice. He doesn't even drink it. Yeah. He doesn't even drink Bud Light. But I was like, I don't know whose this is, but it's mine now. <laughs> <laughs> I am having a raspberry White Claw because it was in the oh, fridge. Oh, you're I... drinking tonight. Yes, I am. Probably shouldn't be, but, you know, because That's I do go back to my... But That's a problem for future you. Yes, exactly. Because uh, I go back to my surgeon on Wednesday to find out what's going to be happening with my foot. And all that fun shit. So it probably shouldn't be, but you know, say la vie. I'm living my best life. So yeah, you want to jump on in? So we have to give a quick shout out to Sebastian Stan for this week's read. <laughs> because he posted about this book months ago. And I saw it and I was like, ooh, that looks good. Screenshot it. He definitely got an arc. Because this book didn't release until maybe like a month ago. 
damn maybe like maybe sooner maybe like an two influencer or king right was this on his instagram you said yes because he doesn't have to bookstagram king yeah. oh my gosh <laughs> so i like screenshotted it and then i kind of forgot about it and then i kind of like i was like looking at instagram i was like whatever happened to that book that he talked about and then right. i found out that it was like released like two or three weeks ago and i was like well now i have to read it you have to and because of my job um one of the many perks is that i get access to free audio not audio well yes audiobooks i get free access to audiobooks and ebooks like across a bunch of different publishers which is amazing and i love it and this book happened to be one of them and lucky you it it was i'm oh my god i have so much to say about this book oh boy that being said i remembered to write down my trigger warnings because it's not a Francesca episode if there aren't trigger warnings. Of course not. Um, so keep in mind when listening to this that there is a lot of talk of emotional and mental abuse. There's talks of drug addiction, alcohol addiction. There's some drug use. So just bear that in mind before going into this read that if there's anything in that that bothers you, maybe don't listen or read it. Because we always want you guys to safeguard your mental health before anything else and really protect yourselves if that is something that bothers you. Totally understandable. That being said, this week, I read Stolen, a memoir by Elizabeth Gilpin. And the book starts out really crazy. I kind of reorganized how she tells the story just to make it more digestible to like tell this way. Versus how you would read it. I also had a lot of problems with my notes as you got this week. All of my yeah. text messages. I was low-key worried we were going to have to, I don't know what. <laughs> like, yeah. Because, and this is nothing about Elizabeth and her book. Mm-mm. This is solely about the technology I had to use right. to read it. It was incredibly outdated and clearly has not been updated recently. Um, so like I would take highlights and they would disappear. I would lose my spot in the book, that sort of thing. Cause I was reading it on ebook. So I really had to scramble last night with my notes, but I did it. We're here. That being said, I also really had to condense this story because she does a lot of internal work in her own inner monologue and her own feelings. And that would have just been, I could do a whole hour about how she felt in this moment during the, the story. And I really wanted to really just get to the meat of her story. Right. I really did a lot of condensing work on this. So that being said, I encourage everyone to read this book. It was really fucking good. And it's so sad. And just like, I've been told not to toot my own horn, but I've been told <laughs> I give really good hugs. And so Elizabeth, if you ever need a hug, give me a call because I too want to give you a hug. And you said this was nonfiction. Yes, this is nonfiction. It's a memoir. Okay. So a little background. Um, Obviously, our narrator's name is Elizabeth. She's the middle child of three. She has an older brother and a little sister. Middle children, the forgotten ones. (laughs) So she moved to South Carolina when she was about six years old and always considered California to be like her actual home. And like I said before, this book kind of starts like in, in it, like in a really strong memory. Mm-hmm. But for timeline's sake and for ease of storytelling, I'm just going to hold off telling that story until then. Also, 
please do not ask me to explain anything, oh, Alicia, because I know you're going to be like, why? Why? Why would they do I don't know. I don't know either the logic. But I feel like I feel like that's every time I read a book, I'm like, don't ask me how we got here. I do not know. The logic is just so convoluted, and I don't understand it either. The way so, that this is a nonfiction book, too, and we can't even explain it. So don't, don't, don't ask, because I, I can't. Um, and you also please keep in mind, at this point in her life, Elizabeth is 15. She's incredibly defiant and very angry a lot of the time, and she talks about it a lot throughout the book, how angry she felt through all of this completely understandable yeah 15 is horrible 15 is like the worst age i would i'll agree 100 percent. 14 is like eh, you're 14, still a base you're yeah. still a kid you're still technically 15. a preteen even though you are a teen like right exactly 15 right in the middle of it horrible so the story starts at a party at midnight in the woods in South Carolina, as most teenagers in South Carolina do, party uh, in the woods. Yikes. Yeah. So, again, 15-year-old Elizabeth is sitting there on the lap of a boy named Nick. And they kind of have, like, this flirtationship going. Like, it's not like they're in a relationship. They're not just friends. It's kind of just, like, in the middle, you know? He's also a junior. She's a freshman, which I thought that's was a not little that weird. Bad. No, that's really not that bad. 16? Mm-hmm. Well, she's a freshman? Yeah. At 15? Is this the end of the school year? Well, she, maybe she, she was starting her sophomore year. I think she was a freshman, though. I'm not she sure. She could be, like, her birthday could be, like, December or something, or, you know. Her birthday, I think, is definitely later in the year. Yeah, so uh, she's probably, like, 15, he's 16. That's really not that bad. Yeah, I guess all. not. Even if he was 17, that's I guess still, the, like, the, two years. The jump from freshman to junior, like, thinking in my mind how much I changed between those two years, like, those three years, mm. But, yeah, she never specifies when her birthday is, but she, like, mentions it. So, like, you kind of have to place it yourself on the timeline. So I would say she has a later birthday, but I digress. So someone screams, the cops are there, and everyone scatters. Elizabeth ends up in a car with her friends, escaping the fuzz. Thank goodness. And her friend Jason is the one that's driving, and he wants to buy weed before everyone regroups at someone else's house to keep partying. So Elizabeth's on the phone with Nick as they pull up to the dealer's house. And the dealer doesn't like that Jason wants to check the quality of the weed before paying him. And when Jason calls him out that the weed is like shit, the dealer jumps on the side of the car, pissed. Like, give me the weed back. Give me my money. Whoa. And so Jason starts driving with this guy hanging off the side of his car. Long story short, the car veers off the road and slams into a tree. Elizabeth headbutts the windshield. But for the most part, everyone's kind of fine. She just kind of has like a, a cut across her forehead and she might have like broken her finger. Right. But she doesn't want to tell her parents and get in trouble. And she's sleeping over at her friend's house anyway that night. So they wouldn't know until she came home. Right. So also bear in mind, her dad is a surgeon, which is like a very high stress job. Yeah. So when he comes home, he's just very tense and like anything could really just set him off. Right. And she's a... She's a good student. You know, she competes in sports. She loves soccer. Soccer is mentioned throughout the book because, you know, she's writing this as she thinks about being 15. Right. And it's kind of that situation where her dad really doesn't let her make mistakes. Yikes. Yeah, like, it was a rough, rough, rough place to be in. She lies to her parents and says that she, like, slipped at a football game, whatever. But because it's such a small southern town, news gets out that it was actually a car accident She's at a party the next weekend and her dad shows up in a rage, pissed that she lied at him, lied at him, 
lied to him. Right. So he takes Elizabeth to the hospital where he works and has her drug tested and has an MRI because she hit her head. He's like so pissed and he's also showing like no sympathy to her. It's so hard for me because I empathize with like teenagers so much and like this their whole life what they're going through at that moment. So like watching the dad just be like, I know you lied and I don't care. I'd be like, I understand why you lied, but you shouldn't have done that. Right. And you know, Elizabeth is displaying all the regular teenage dramatics of why does he hate me? Like, I don't understand why he's doing this to me. Even though deep down she knows he doesn't actually hate her. She's just surface level anger. Right. The drug, the drug test comes back clean, obviously. And so did the MRI. But when she gets home, she goes up to her room and she can hear her parents arguing about what happened. Her mom kind of being like, oh, you're being too harsh on her. And the dad's like, no, she lied to us. And as she passes her brother's room, he comments about like, is there any guy in his grade she won't give a blowjob to? Which is like, sir, a little yikes. In a moment of reflection, Elizabeth talks about how she really should have been diagnosed depressed at that point. Mm-hmm. And that was what she needed at that time. So cut back to 14-year-old Elizabeth, and this is her first experience kind of with suicide and death. I'm not sure if it's her first experience with death, but I guess maybe her first experience with suicide. Right. Her neighbor next door had killed himself. Oh, yikes. Oh, I think you talked, you told, texted me about that. <laughs> yeah, I texted you about this because I was, it was a hard open and I was like, great, like great attention grabber. It's just like, whoa. You know, right after he killed himself, she kind of wished she could ask him like how he knew that was the time to do it. You know, like how how did he know he was ready? Right. That is very like depressed teen-esque. Yeah. So she and her friends perform like a seance and it's like the most hodgepodge seance I've ever heard of. Oh, no. Right. They don't have the Ouija board, which is like key. Yeah. That's like number one supply. Yeah. Right. And so, and they need something that he's touched. So they sneak into his backyard and steal like flowers that he used to tend to. And then they take a bunch of candles from inside the house. And around midnight, they go into her backyard and start this little seance, you know, humming to the wind and just like asking him for him to come to them. So during the seance, Elizabeth asks why he killed himself and to show them a sign that he was there. At that moment, the entire neighborhood goes dark. And literally the power on the entire street goes out. The girls run back inside, like giggling and being like, oh my God, that's so crazy. But Elizabeth always wondered if that was him like answering her question as like, it was sort of like a warning, like, you know, don't do that. I don't like this. So, and that whole chapter really just gives a really great overview of her curiosity with, with death and, and, and dying. Yeah, it was, it was really well written. So back to post-car accident, she wakes up that Monday with a terrible headache, just like a super bad migraine, and she's allowed to stay home from school because that's happened before. She's had very bad migraines that have kept her bedridden. Mm -hmm. So she plays it up for like several days, and her mom lets her stay home from school. So while her dad is very strict and kind of always very tense, her mom is very much like the family mediator. She would generally take her dad's side in, like, fights, but Elizabeth always felt like she was constantly competing with her siblings for her mom's attention. Uh. And sometimes that meant being, like, the most angry angry and volatile person in the room. Right. At this point, she feels incredibly disconnected from the world and just shuts herself into her room. And over several days, she hears her parents arguing about her, you know, her dad insisting she's lying about the headache, her mom saying he's being too harsh. 
and she just feels really empty at this point. So she decides to take a bottle of migraine pills and just doesn't even count the number, just takes it all. Girlfriend. She writes a letter to her parents saying how sad she feels all the time and that she knew they saw her ultimately as a disappointment. She ends up waking up the next morning, the pills basically having done nothing but give her an even worse headache. (laughs) So boarding school had always been something that she's wanted since she moved to South Carolina because she always hated it in South Carolina. As soon as she got there, she wanted to get the fuck out. And after the car accident, the topic came about again. Her mom picks her up from school, telling her that they have an appointment with an educational consultant. Immediately no. Immediately no. (laughs) Immediately triggered. And yes. (laughs) Um, Elizabeth (laughs) thinks it's for a well-to-do boarding school called Episcopal. I think that's how you say it. In Virginia. Fun word. Yeah. So she's like, I mean, it's it's not like New York or LA like she wanted to go, but you know, it's suburbs of DC that's fine with her. The consultant's name is Lynn Ann Moore. And remember, folks, I don't give names unless they're important. So Lynn Ann is like, if you're thinking about the stereotypical Southern white woman, you're probably right. That's probably what she looks like. Oh, no. So she takes Elizabeth into her office, runs through, you know, the standard questions before she brings out some tests. That's when Elizabeth knew something was different about this exam when Lynn Ann gives her the inkblot tests. She's like, what the fuck? Oh, no. Yeah. And Lynn Ann would ultimately be the person that, like, would change Elizabeth's life. And can I just say, wherever Uh this woman is, she better hope we never meet because, ooh, I'm a slasher (laughs) tires. Oh, no. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Oof. Elizabeth leaves this interview and is pretty fucking angry, understandably. Mm -hmm. And she gets into an argument with her mom, accusing her mom of thinking she's crazy. And Lynn Ann comes out and is like, don't talk to your mother like that. And Elizabeth is like, get the fuck out of my face. Yeah. yeah. And Elizabeth like pushes her mom, pushes past her mom so like she can get to the car. But putting her hands on her mother, quote unquote. Oh my gosh. She kind of thinks like if her parents hadn't decided what to do next, there were two things that happened after that that would help them along in that decision oh boy the first being that she gets extremely drunk at the spring formal and i'm talking like she makes her the sidewalk her bed drunk you know what i mean like that kind of drunk and has to call her mom to come and pick her up and the next has to do with weed her father finds an eighth of weed in the slats of her bed frame that she never actually smoked but more bought it to make herself look cool because you know she's 15 Her father grounded her for the foreseeable future, only allowing her out of the house for church, school, and sports. So when her parents let her sleep over at her friend's house the night before church, she later realizes that she should have known something was wrong in that moment. So they pick her up that Sunday, and she kind of knew, like, things were not okay. The car was just very tense. Her mom wasn't, like, making eye contact with her. Like, she just kind of knew. Right. So they tell her they're taking her to summer camp, which Uh-oh. was not some. They're taking her to a farm upstate. <laughs> oh my God, she's not a bunny. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> summer camp is not something that she was told about, nor was something she wanted to do. Immediately, she starts screaming about taking her home. She doesn't want to go. And rightfully, like, so she looks at the door and so- decides to say, fuck it. 
the car is on the highway right now. She is fully prepared to jump out of this moving car. Like, opens the door, fully prepared to jump. Her dad pulls her back in. Ma'am? And locks the doors. Ma'am? That gives me so much anxiety. I actually knew a girl in high school whose brother did that on a highway. And, and actually did he did die? It. No, he was fine. But he uh, on Did the he highway, break both of his ankles? I he was not in a good way afterwards. Like he didn't die or anything, but he was definitely yeah, not not in a great way. All I can imagine is just like your feet coming out from under you and your head hitting the pavement. That's what I I, I didn't understand it cuz I was like this sounds pretty serious. Yeah. But like I can understand her logic of wanting to do that. Yeah, 100%. You know I, I mean? like 100% yeah. in support, but also that out. Yeah. <laughs> so a cop actually sees this happen, like sees her open the door and try and jump out and pulls over the parents. The cop is like everything good here and she's yeah. like no, the, she's like no, they've kidnapped me. They aren't my parents. <laughs> like get me out of here. Oh my gosh. And Obviously, this is very distressing for her mother, but just pisses off her dad. And they're like, no, we're her parents. And the cop is like, can you guys get out of the car, please? Like, Oh, no. So he talks to them and the cop comes back and is like, have fun at summer camp. And just like walks away. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but that, no, like, you can't do that. If a child says that these people are not their parents, you have to believe them. And do a thorough investigation. Right. And even if they are her parents, find out why she's claiming they aren't. You know what I mean? If she's being abused at home or if she's not being taken care of. Can you imagine how many children just slip through the cracks that way? Yeah. So many. I'm, like, I can assume. All of them. Yeah. Ultimately, her mom is incredibly upset by what just happened. And it's just like, turn the car around. Like, let's just, let's go home. So they take her home. And in the car, she had called her friend. Uh-huh. Because this was like, I'm going to like. I did kind of the math because later on in the book, she says her first concert was the Spice Girls, like the queen she is. Wow. In 1998, when she was 10. Don't like that. So this is around 2003. Just so we get like a early timeline. So she had called her friend from her parents' car to meet her at her house. When she gets home, she jumps out of her parents' car and gets into her friend's car and just drives off. She's not having it. Oh, my God. So she spends as little time at home that summer as possible. Right. So she's not really offended when her mom plans a vacation for herself, her brother, and her sister for the three of them to go on. Right. Not taking Elizabeth. And throughout the book, Elizabeth talks about her innate fear of the dark and dark places, how she has regular nightmares about a faceless man, and it's just like, it scares the shit out of her. Yeah. That's horrifying. This is technically where the first, the prologue starts. But again, for timeline's sake, I I moved it deeper into the timeline. (laughs) She's woken up in the middle of the night with two strangers, a man and a woman standing over her. (laughs) I I wish people could see your face right now. I, that's horrifying. What the fuck? This is like, is she going, this is like, um, did you ever watch Paris Hilton's documentary? No, but I want to. Okay, it's it's pretty good. I'm not gonna lie. But she, um, her parents sent her away to like wilderness camp, and this sounds exactly like how she was taken to wilderness camp. I'm not kidding. It's so funny you say that. <laughs> oh no, I'm scared. Because they grab hold of her hands and her feet and haul her ass out of bed. 
forcing her down down the hallway out of her bedroom not even with shoes on like she's still in her pajamas and she's screaming for her parents to come and help her that's literally what paris hilton said i'm not kidding they tell her her parents know where they are that they're there as the two drag her out of the house her dad is standing at the front door watching he mouths to her i'm sorry as they force her into the suv the audacity of this man so it's so funny that you say that about a wilderness camp because part of her wonders as she's flying down her neighborhood that were any of her neighbors watching did any of them think she was being kidnapped or heard her screaming right so in the car she thinks of a way to try and plan an escape at the gas station when she tells them that she has to pee but that plan's ultimately foiled when the lady kidnapper makes her pee with the door open. Oh, no. So there's, like, no point in her, like, trying to get away. Oh, my gosh. Imagine you have stage fright. Like, then you can't pee then. <laughs> right? That's the important part. Exactly. They take her deep into the Appalachian. I say Appalachian. I know it's probably, like, Appalachian. You're not going to hear me saying that. Come for me in the comments. I do not care. <laughs> we no have comments. no comments. This is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I've been watching way too much YouTube. So they cross the border of South Carolina into Virginia, making this a federal Kidnapping, yes! (laughs) Woo! All I can think about is Criminal Minds is on the case. So I've also been watching a lot of Criminal Minds. I'm re-watching, like, that entire series. Oh, my god! Again, even though I watched it for the first time in its entirety at the beginning of this year. But anyway. (laughs) I digress. (laughs) I digress. (laughs) Put that on a fucking t-shirt. They leave her at this trailer... Literally, they just pull up to, like, this trailer in the woods. It's middle of the night. They say, okay, see ya. And... Uh, Ma'am? She's like, what? The front desk receptionist... Oh, no. ...tells her to strip. And she is strip-searched for the first time in her her life. She's given a new set of clothes, neon orange t-shirt... And cargo pants that zip at the knees. That sounds horrible. That sounds so ugly. It's poor girl. But it's also like a way for them to be able to see them easily, like in the dark, is neon orange. I do not like that. She's also given a giant hiking backpack, with it, which is like essentially stuffed with whatever you need to go hiking through like the fucking Alps. Like it's stuffed. And she's also given a pair of hiking boots and Crocs. The essentials. Oh no, not Crocs. This poor girl. You gotta get her out. The Crocs is yep. doing it. That's it for me. The breaking point. She would later learn that that her parents signed waivers that basically said if anything bad shit, any bad shit had hap- would happen to her there, it was not, these people were not liable. They were oh, not responsible. I do not like this. So, like, if she died, they were not responsible. Uh, oh, mm, no. No, ma'am. No. Mm, mm, no. 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 So, she is then put in a truck and driven deeper into the woods. She arrives at a small campsite. There are... 12 other girls and about, like, six, I guess, counselors, you could call them. The counselor tells her that she's number 13, and that's her new identifier. If she goes anywhere, she has to call out her number. Go take a shit, 13. Going to look for fireworks, 13. Because if she didn't, they were going to come looking for her and think she was, like, up to no good. And you had to call out your number every night before you went to bed as well. Fuck. So at this point, she's exhausted, rightfully fucking so. But mostly angry. 
like mostly angry again rightfully fucking so what is the author's name again elizabeth gilpin okay so the next morning after like a rough night's sleep she finds out she is in what is known as the earth phase and given a mentor named polly all the girls have to go through these different phases earth phase fire phase water and air this like avatar that's immediately what i was thinking as you should at the moment i should say when i was reading this and reading the four i thought of earth wind and fire the band oh yeah and two i didn't even think of avatar because i was just reading this and i was like oh my god this poor girl this sweet innocent baby each phase they're given like a new luxury they would get like a knife or the most important the coveted flashlight this is legitimately a dystopian novel a bad one and but this is her life yeah exactly so elizabeth is not allowed to talk to anyone except for polly and the leaders until she's out of earth phase polly tries to reassure her that it gets easier after the first few weeks and elizabeth is like oh i won't be here for that one. <laughs> oh, a sweet. queen and she's like no i'm not supposed to be here like this was a mistake i can't so she asks polly why she's there And Polly said that she's there because she was too promiscuous. She had only slept with three boys. Oh, God. But her parents sent her there for that. I hate people. Polly asks why Elizabeth is there, and Elizabeth really isn't into drugs. She's a virgin, so Polly is kind of also perplexed as to why Elizabeth is there. Yeah. Too? So are the rest of us. But her parents really sent her there because of how angry she was all the time and how, like, volatile she was. She was, like, sneaking out at night and drinking, like... So you send her to wilderness camp? I completely agree with you. Some people really should not be parents. Some people really have no business being parents. (laughs) I'm sorry. Anyway, so when they leave the campsite, they leave it looking like nobody was ever there in the first place. And I'm like, oh, so they can't be followed? That's my immediate instinct. It's like the sickness of them using like proper camping wilderness etiquette against them so then they can't be traced is just despicable gross i mean i don't know why they're doing like if that's why they're doing that but that's immediately what i thought i was like nobody if someone wanted to come looking for her they would never know that she was there there's no doubt in my mind that they are doing that so then they can't be found but it's like yeah sick because like that is what you're supposed to do yeah gross i wouldn't know i've never been camping nor do i have any desire to go camping and i don't and i love you for it i do not blame you thank you (laughs) thank you it kind of sucks I I prefer to sleep in a nice bed with my doors locked. And you know what? That is so valid of you. Thank you. So they hike most, like they spend most of their day hiking and they march single file as they go to their new campsite. So to get out of Earth Phase, she has to write her life story. And it's basically a story that these crazy people will be satisfied with and accept. Like one that she's been like this super promiscuous drug addict who's done all this bad shit when she hasn't done any of that right they refuse to believe that she's telling the truth that she isn't like a bad kid the hiking boots were also taken from them nightly so like if they had to go to the bathroom or something they had to wear crocs great so then they have to commit a fashion crime (laughs) i mean the camo was bad enough but the crocs with it exactly I bet you they're probably, like, orange Crocs, too, so they're really ugly. Probably. Because escaping in Crocs is, like, very difficult, as one of the other girls tells her. Like, you just can't do it. Yeah. She was really only eating rice and beans and losing a fuck ton of weight, just sickly, uh, by the time that she's done. Yikes. They had regular group therapy 
sessions, quote unquote. Oh, no. And every Sunday, a psychotherapist would drive out and do individual sessions. Elizabeth would ultimately spend the next three months hiking through the woods, her number slowly going from 13 to 1. I do not like that. So as the girls would leave, they were typically sent to other boarding schools for emotionally troubled teens. Yeah, not a fan. Yeah. So I'm really, really, really condensing her experience in the woods. Like, it's wild from start to finish. She has so much that happens in there. Right. I can't even talk about all of it because we could sit here for two hours just talking about her time in the woods. So this is this takes place in Virginia, the school, correct? Yes. Okay, yeah. just making sure I got that correct in my mind. And like I said before, if I could just give this poor girl a hug and tell her it's going to be okay. Like, that's all I want to do. It's wild. And she really was dealing with a lot of, a great deal of anger from being put in this situation, especially by her parents. So right. I... The reason that I kind of condense this part is because I really want to move to the crux of her story, which is the boarding school her parents ultimately sent her to at the end of this wilderness experience, Carlbrook. And, like, they have a graduation ceremony from this wilderness experience that her parents didn't even show up to. Mm -hmm. So don't even get me started on that. That's rude. They sent the people that kidnapped her to come and pick her up and take her to this boarding school. That is... These people should not have kids. Straight up. Full Full stop. stop. Does she have any, wait, does she have any siblings? Yes, I'm sorry. she's the middle child. She has an older brother and a younger sister. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. you said that. I just... Yeah, a lot, a lot what my brain? has happened between then and now, so... Yeah, yeah, wow. So I'm just going to do a quick, like, little history of Carlbrook as a school before we oh, jump no. into her story. So basically, this school had, like, a single cure-all for all sorts of problems, and the treatment for, for this evolving from only one place. Only, this could only come from one place, right? What do you think it came from? A fucking cult, of course. Oh, love it. Sinanin, you probably are familiar with the phrase that they coined, which is, today is the first day of you the rest of your life. Oh, not And they could be considered the model for America's rehab industry. The name might also mm-hmm. ring a bell to people who have heard of the attempted murder case in the 1970s where they used a rattlesnake as the attempted murder weapon. You know, the fun shit. So that's Creative. that's the name of the cult, right? So 1958, a man named Charles Diedrich, he was like a raging alcoholic and he really liked to hear the sound of his own voice and would have like these small meetings at his apartment with other members of AA who would listen to him and these small gatherings eventually expanded into synonym i think that's how i think that's how you would say it right this cult ultimately developed like this self-help practice called the game so basically people would sit in a small group and admit their deepest and darkest secrets and then the rest of the group would basically use that information and verbally assault them and just like rip them apart why would you go through this? What did I tell you from the beginning? Do not ask me to explain the logic because I can't. Well, yeah, there never is any logic with cults, I feel like, at the heart of Absolutely it. Absolutely like, none. The logic is not there. So now... You know what's funny? Because when you, when you were talking about the wilderness camp, I was like, this sounds like a cult. It <laughs> straight up does. And that's like with the most basic of information about what happened to her. So, there. Right. Now, a man named Mel Wasserman heard about the story of Sinanin and decided to basically take it and apply it to children. He opened in a school to like extend his reach 
getting most of his students from like the system, you know, like drug addicts, dealers, that kind of thing. So I love this. Thank you, Elizabeth. She gives a lovely little recap at the end of her explanation, which is basically a system for drug addicted adults became a program for drug addicted teenagers, which became a system for any teenager at all, which I think beautifully summed that whole thing up. So the founder of Carlbrook, uh, Randall Moore, actually attended one of these schools that Mel Wasserman had started. Randall? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, but it's just not giving me great vibes off the bat. And he was traumatized by experience, his own experience and decided to open his own school. So you're traumatized and then opened a school because you were... Sir, I think you need to go and get some actual help. Sorry. She said what she said. The cycle really just, like, repeats itself, doesn't it? Love to see it. It does. It does. So the school's literal motto was, Welcome to Carlbrook School for Spirited Underachievers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. So I'm just going to give you some definition of terms that she uses throughout the book, just so we're on the same page of what these things mean. Okay. So Uh there are these... These things called request groups, they would meet on Monday and Friday and were essentially the game that Sinanin played. It was revealing deep secrets and then getting shit on it viciously for it. Right? So it was consisted of about 15 to 20 students and you could request another student if you just wanted to like check in or for any other reason. This is ripe for so much taking advantage of. Yes. So there was also a thing called running anger, which is basically when a student just completely lost it in an emotional state, like crying, snot dripping down the face. It was, as she put it, like the most primal level of emotional breakdown was running anger. And then there was peer groups, which is basically like this group of students that arrived around the same time as Carlbrook at the same time. Uh Then there were standards, which are basically the rules that students were required to follow Honor lists were basically, like, you were writing down every single bad thing that you did. Like, you had to write it down. sounds horrible. So it's also during one of these request groups in her early days there that Elizabeth finds out that her educational consultant, you know, remember Uh Lynn Ann Moore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the mother of Randall Moore, the founder of Carlbrook. Coincidence? I think the fuck not. I think Exactly. Like nepotism. It goes all the way to the top. It literally goes all the way to the top. But so now the school is run by a man named Alan and he's like super creepy. 10 out of 10. Do not approach. Don't. mm -mm, Nope. Do not like it. Do not like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. We're going to jump into Elizabeth's experience. So her parents were incredibly excited to send her to Carlbrook. Her father wrote in a letter to her that they were building, you know, new tennis courts and how beautiful the campus is. Arriving at Carlbrook, it was beautiful. It was in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. Um, but it was a beautiful, like, acres of greenery and, like, this beautiful mansion. Very, like, picturesque. Again, upon her arrival, she was strip searched and asked to squat and cough. Oh, absolutely no. Yeah. And Absolutely again, not. I say, I just no. want to give this poor girl a hug. That is like prison shit. That's prison. That is the most like dehumanizing thing you can ask anyone to do, much less a teenager. 
a teenager. Oh my gosh, this poor woman. So the office that she's in are run out of like the carriage house facilities on on the grounds. She meets um, one of the staff members and two students. One of them, whose name is Maggie, was her roommate. And then she has two other roommates named Brittany and Kristen. So Carl Brook had a weird thing for the Greek alphabet. Elizabeth's peer group was called Pi. So she was in a group of like a bunch of other kids that arrived around the same time. And Elizabeth was also on bands with the entire school. So she wasn't allowed to talk to anyone but Maggie, basically. Maggie takes her to where the dorms are, or the sleeping mods, as they were called. And they walk past this big, beautiful mansion to the trailers tucked into the woods. Of course. Of course they did. The the dorms are just, are literally just double wide trailers with eight bedrooms eat in each trailer, four girls per room. Wow. This is just... Gets worse and worse, so doesn't they it? They had clothing standards, which amounted to wearing like brown and tan, and had to be non-clingy, essential, essentially like nothing tight. Right. And the way to move up in the school was to pass these different workshops that they were required to attend. Brainwashing session. Kind of. It's a lot. <laughs> so Maggie leads her to the main building for last lights, which is kind of just like a communal gathering in the large community room where people are smushing, which she gives a description of it that I really cannot understand how it worked, what they were doing. I think it was just cuddling, which is weird in and of itself, but the phrase smushing makes it even worse. Yeah, it's not a great... I also think of Jersey Shore when they called it smushing, so maybe that's why I was a little (laughs) confused. Oh, no. But yeah, so I'm just going to go with that they were, like, cuddling, but they called it smushing. I really didn't understand that. Not for a lack of her trying to explain it. Her first request group was intense. She wasn't allowed to participate. She was just kind of there to watch to see, like, what would happen. And she watched these, her classmates essentially just, like, break down. Yikes. And I'm not going to go into detail about some of some of these things because it could be triggering for some people i'll briefly mention some of the things that are said but for the sake of like not going into detail i'm just not going to right so they also had a strict schedule that they had to follow they had to be up at 6 a mm-hmm. 6 a.m there were room inspections at 6 15 their beds had to be made that sort of thing and then there were chores right and then they had to trek across campus from their sleeping trailers to the classroom double wides of course. Everything about schoolwork came second to their emotional work that they would be doing. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday afternoons, there was time left allotted for long group sessions. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, there would be study hall. And then dinner would come after all these events. And after these, the, after dinner, there would be these things called appointments, which were basically like an hour of one-on-one with another purity, you know, like check-in. Right. So she had just turned 16 when she first, like, got there, like, in the early days of her time at Carlbrook. She turned 16. And those who attended her quote-unquote party were her advisor, Catherine, and a few other staff members because she really hadn't been there long enough to make any actual friends. Right. She was still technically on pre-Integritas bands with with her friends, quote-unquote, Brittany and Charlotte. 
another girl who she had mm-hmm. met, aka she made eye contact with, and they like just like kept looking at each other because they couldn't actually talk to each other. That's, that's how I make my friends. Same. Too, so actually, that's a lie. I forced yeah. myself on a lot of my friends in college, but that's a story for another time. And that is valid. <laughs> Integritas. I think I'm saying that right. If I'm not, shut up. <laughs> that is the first first workshop that they have to go th- go through just so she's pre that because she hasn't gone she's hasn't gone through it so do you get chosen to go through these uh workshops you're like required to go through all of them it's not that you're chosen that you you just have to go through them in like a certain order i'm i think and you have to like wait to go to them like a certain amount of time until you can go to yeah each, i think or... so yeah. okay 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 that that okay that makes sense she also gets a special five minute phone call for her birthday Oh, how special. Her first phone call didn't go so well. I I can imagine. Students usually get about 20-minute phone calls home every two weeks, a privilege that she would lose after her first one. (laughs) She basically lashed out at her parents, cursing at them, that she doesn't want to be at the school, and she's so mad that they sent her there. So she was put on a program for that, essentially just to, like, which is essentially, like, a punishment, just to, like, work on herself. A program. Great. Now, I'm not sure if it's required every time. It was a little unclear to me, but they ha- make mm-hmm. use of this thing called a program room, which is essentially like a glass room where you would have to go and work and everyone could see this in. It sounds kind of Scientology-esque. We'll get to that. <laughs> oh, no. I hate when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> so she was Scares she me. was really hit hard by her lonely, loneliness that night. And for the first time in like three or four months she looked at like got to look at herself in a mirror and she was like hit so hard and maddened by the fact that even though she's changed so much internally and emotionally on the outside she looks exactly the same and she's basically lost like any sense of identity at that point right so now the the workshops (laughs) this is integrity I'm not going to be able to say this, but basically this workshop focuses on integrity. Duh. Oh no. And it took largely from other self-help programs, including fucking Dianetics. No! Which is part of Scientology, if you didn't know that. Not the Dianetics. Oh no, not the Dianetics. Not the Dianetics. So the workshops began at like dawn and ran the entire day and usually into the night. Elizabeth's peer group high was led into a double wide that had like blackout curtains and just like made it feel very claustrophobic. At least that's like how I felt reading it. Yeah, I'm not liking this. And it was blasting Lamez, which sounds absolutely insane. <laughs> <laughs> that's wow, the dichotomy yeah. there. So Alan welcomes them inside and. The workshop begins. And again, it focuses on integrity. It starts with the students writing their honor list. Elizabeth mentioning skipping breakfast once, wearing tight pants, staying up late in the bathroom after lights out, like small things. And Alan like leans over her shoulder and warns her not to lie because the staff knew more than she thought. And I literally shudder thinking about this man like being over my shoulder, like absolutely not. Nope, 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 nope. No. Yeah. So next, they're given a notebook and asked to write their goals for the workshop. Lunch is served, and she's given a small cup of water, and she kind of wonders if that's, like, intentional to keep them dehydrated so they can get in their heads, like the staff can. Oh, I don't like this. So next, they 
are asked to state their childhood heroes. And Elizabeth's was Mia Hamm, who is a world-famous soccer player. And the names of their heroes were written on index cards and taped to their shirts, which something that uh-huh. Elizabeth didn't really like because it almost felt like she was being mocked because she was never going to be as great as Mia Hamm. Uh-huh. They then went around in a circle complimenting each other, and they each got to pick a compliment they were given, and it was written on an index card, and that was taped over their heart. Elizabeth chose the compliment that she was powerful. So after dinner came their first disclosure circle, which was not good. So there are student aides in the room uh-huh. that sort of direct the tension of the circle. So basically, like, if the student aides' disclosures start small then the other students' disclosures are going to be the same way. So if they don't really up the Mm -hmm. ante, it's not going to be good. Alan, however, was the one that started Mm -hmm. this one. Talking about his Mm -hmm. own life of addiction and anonymous sex, which, oh my God, made me gag. Thinking Like, add that to the list of things you never want to hear is about your teacher's sex life. Ever. Yeah, no thank you. So they went around in the circle giving their deepest confessions. Some were about blowjobs, drugs, some shoplifting... And Elizabeth confessed to giving a blowjob, though she was even though she was raised in a very religious upbringing and knew that sex was meant for marriage. And the staff was just like not having this. They wanted more. They wanted darker. They wanted deeper. This is disgusting. Like these are children. Mm-hmm. Yikes. On the third go, the not third good. go around, it, it got dark. One of the boys yeah. broke down in tears, and he admitted that he had touched a family member once. A girl that was younger than him, and he was just a kid, too, when it happened. Oh, my goodness. He starts sobbing. Alan tries to comfort him, that kind of thing. And eventually the circle ends. But it doesn't mean it's over. Elizabeth Uh is directed to sit in the middle of the circle. And in comes a barrage of other students to start screaming in her face, taking everything that she had just said and basically throwing it back at her. They called her a slut repeatedly. They told her she has no self-worth and that the men in her life don't love her because she's such a whore. Just a collective of 15 people just screaming in her face. Wow. Wow. Are these, wait, are these um, peers? Sorry. Are these peers or are they? There are other students that were not uh, part of the disclosure circle. At least that's what my. Okay. But there's still students. At least it was my, my opinion. Staff, staff is involved too. Staff is on the sidelines screaming too. Yikes. This is all bad. This is all so bad. Verbatim, she says, I could have counted every bad thing that had been said about me up until that point and multiplied it by 10, and it wouldn't have come close to what happened in that trailer. Wow. So Alan asks them to pick their lie, aka reveal who they've truly become. And I don't get how that has to do with lying, but okay. Charlotte's lie was that she is a stone cold bitch, which, okay, I can relate to that because that would 100% (laughs) be mine. Maya, one of Elizabeth's friends who plays a big part, um, was that she was a pathetic slut. Brittany, Elizabeth's roommate, was a manipulative liar. Benjamin kind of had it the worst, and he was labeled a molester. Which, I say that it was the worst because Elizabeth talks about this later on, but she says, like, in these situations, it's hard to tell if another person is just lying to satisfy the staff. Right. Like, they, he could be making it up. So the staff, like, is finally like, okay, we can move on. And Elizabeth admits that lying would sometimes be easier because nothing major really ever happened to her that would make the staff happy. So sometimes she had lied 
Yeah. They really don't know if Benjamin was telling the truth when he disclosed that. Right. And you know what? That's sick. Yeah. Disgusting. So Elizabeth's was that she was a worthless abuser. Something she realized as she thought about all of the horrible things that led her here. And it makes me legitimately crazy because she was just a teenager. Right. Like, being mad and fighting with your parents is literally being a teenager. And it breaks my heart that she would be 15 years old, 16 years old, thinking about herself like this. Yeah, it's wild to me that her parents would go to this length to, like, quote-unquote deal with this problem that is quite literally the pinnacle of being a teenager. Like, nothing you told me about is anything that insane that would warrant any sort of, like, action... like action such as this to be taken even if it was like i have to send you off to a discipline school because you are like a danger to others and yourself like this is insane like she's just depressed exactly so they get very little rest that night and she falls into one of her nightmares of the dark and the faceless man that she's had before poor girl only that this time he had a face and it was alan's So the next day, the workshop continues with an exercise of them essentially just beating up a pillow. Like all the exercises, it wasn't going to end until someone was crying and being exhausted both physically and emotionally. Tears were pretty easy for her at that point. Mood. It ended with some smushing, okay, the cuddling like I mentioned earlier, that even Alan joined in on. That word is just, it just makes me so uncomfortable. (laughs) Like, I know it's probably something harmless but this situation yeah. is insane so i can't rule out the it's the it's not harmless it be. because like, alan joins in too and that's gotta be oh illegal no i mean so many illegal that things are happening like that's not even the worst of it but like gosh this is so insane. at the end of the workshop the the group were told to stand in front of the school and announce their truth that elizabeth was powerful oh. and the rest of them had to go through and say theirs A few days after the workshop, Benjamin, the boy that made that disclosure, was escorted off of campus by two people in an SUV and was never seen again. I do not. That's insane. At that last light that night, Alan says that Benjamin was taken to another place that would better fit his needs. A little suspicious, but okay. That is very suspicious. And that scared Elizabeth because she was worried that they would send her away for the things that she said during disclosure meetings and quite frankly that was just like another thing to be scared of and worry about yeah i mean who could blame her? so she was officially off bands once she finished that workshop so she could talk and make friends and things like that and she formed a small group of friends with four girls named Brittany, Kristen, charlotte and maya she also met a boy named luke relationships weren't forbidden they weren't encouraged either they had a a kind of Mm -hmm. unspoken crush like very cute like childlike relationship one day elizabeth was requested for group or had a request group by another girl and she was Mm -hmm. told that the girl Mm -hmm. just wanted to check in with her because of how much time elizabeth was spending with luke and that she didn't think spending so much time with him was a good idea this is just And another girl chimes in that the flirting the two of them did really triggered the feelings of home for her and she didn't like it so alan could see Okay, well, then deal with your own feelings. So Alan could see in her face that Elizabeth was close to an emotional breaking point and started to push her. Oh, no. So Elizabeth said she thought they were overreacting, and Maya starts crying. 
And she says she... Get over it. Well, Maya's one of her friends. Oh, she, so she's crying for Elizabeth. Okay. For her, yeah. She says she felt bad for Elizabeth because she knows what it feels like to so desperately want to be loved. Maya genuinely wanted to believe that Carl Brook would work for her and that it would fix her problems in her life. She drank the Kool-Aid. This poor sweet child. So Alan ended the group meeting and suggested that he and Elizabeth meet for an appointment, one of the one-on-one sessions. No. 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 Later that evening, she met with Alan for their appointment, and she tuned out most of what he said until he opened his arms and patted his lap, signaling for her to take a seat. (gasps) Absolutely not. He rubbed her shoulders and told her how beautiful she is. And while it didn't go into great detail, obviously that's super inappropriate for a teacher to do. And but like, this is just scummy. That's disgusting. Don't like it. So it's Christmas time and the parents come to visit. It's been five months since she's seen her parents at this point. Okay. Wow. Wow. She was hoping if she saw them face to face, she might be able to convince them to take her back to South Carolina. And so also at this point, it's graduation time for her roommate, Maggie. There's three graduation ceremonies Mm -hmm. a year, the normal high school time, a summer graduation and winter. She hugs Maggie goodbye and they promise to keep in touch for a little while But Maggie would ultimately die a little less than two years later, having overdose in her car and being found dead. Okay. So she also says goodbye to her friend Trevor. And he was one of the first people she met at Carlbrook when she was still on bands with everyone. Like he smiled at her at the first request group to try and make her feel more comfortable. Um, So then her parents finally arrive And it's Mm -hmm. tense, to say the least. They're invited to do a group family session led by her advisor, Catherine. And she tries to go into a calm. And she tells them she doesn't feel like she's the same person she was when she started Carl Brook. And her parents just completely blow her off, which really feels like a total gut punch every time. And at that moment, Elizabeth unloads the anger that she has felt for them at this entire experience and she tells them that she hates them and that they were stupid for falling for Lynn Ann Moore's trap and she tricked them and that ru- they ruined her life which is true Lynn she did um so Catherine reprimands Elizabeth and kicks her out of the group meeting and she's put on her first like Damn. real program yeah, I mean she's right after that incident right so now as Christmas continues, Kristen, her roommate, is plotting an escape. She's about to turn 18 and she wants out, understandably. She starts hoarding granola bars and bananas and Charlotte even gives her a blanket that she got for Christmas for the cold Virginia nights. To be fair, it was a Care Bear blanket and Charlotte's like 16, so... Love that understandable and on the day of her 18th birthday Kristen walks off into the woods surrounding campus and never returns love it charlotte and Brittany are immediately put on program for their assistance in the disappearance and a request group is listed soon after listing anyone with any association to Kristen, like even the most minute and it's being run by randall the founder of the school who, to Elizabeth's knowledge, has never done that before. 
He tells the group that Kristen is now missing and she never returned home, which none of them can confirm at that point is true or not. He tries to convince them that she's been raped and left to be dead in a ditch somewhere because she left before she was ready. And Randall accuses Brittany, Charlotte, and Elizabeth with setting up like this underground escape team, which is not true, but sure, Jan. Right. Okay. Okay. He goes off and screams at them for like six hours and his closer is throwing a water bottle at one boy and calling another girl a cum dumpster. <gasps> That's so, insane. Wow. Yikes. Charlotte and Brittany's punishments are digging up tree stumps and washing the fence um, with a bucket of water and toothpaste. To- toothpaste. <laughs> a toothbrush, effectively. So Randall decides to lead another request group and he goes in on Elizabeth. He says that Lynn Ann told him all about her and that she's a mean, angry bitch. Okay. And if I had three adjectives to pick about myself, I would relate to 15-year-old Elizabeth in that moment. <laughs> all of this buildup led to Elizabeth running anger for the first time, and it almost felt like a relief to her right. to just like let go and not hold back anymore, which I can imagine is incredibly exhausting trying to keep your emotions in check like that at right. all times. Especially as a teenager. Yes. When you have, like, the least amount of emotional control. Exactly. Elizabeth was put on a program after this herself to teach her how to be a better friend. The the assignments for this program actually ended up overlapping with her next workshop. Amacita? Amma something. (laughs) It was a friendship workshop. Oh. In the lead up to the workshop, they had to take care of... They had to do the baby egg assignment that you do in, like, health class. Right. But with a twist. They had to take care of someone else's egg baby. So (laughs) Elizabeth had to take care of Maya's, and Maya took care of hers. And when they got to the workshop, it only had a few cracks in it, but not... It wasn't, like, a completely, like, disintegrated mess. Right. Alan tells them that friendships means being both a giver and a taker. He makes them go around the room and tell each other reasons why they are givers, basically complimenting each other on how they're they're good friends. The taker part is particularly brutal. Elizabeth's includes that she's told she's selfish, she's not capable of being a true friend, and so on. And at that point, they move on to the disclosure circle. And they kick off this one with a story about bestiality. Uh, excuse me? Yeah. Again, she considers that maybe he was lying about it, or he could actually be a monster. And Elizabeth discloses that sometimes she would throw up after eating, and not for body image, but for the pure control Mm -hmm. of of the action. Right. The next exercise, exercise was to decorate a paper heart with... All, like, the soft, childlike things that they love. Mm-hmm. And then they each went around the room and just started ripping into each other. And for every judgment they got from another person, they had to rip off a piece of their heart. And she, after each hit, she just feels, like, completely empty. And the last exercise was basically extreme red rover where they all stood in a circle and Uh one student stood on the outside and had to break through the circle 
And Elizabeth, like, started throwing herself into her peers, crying, just, like, not stopping, just slamming into their bodies. Mm -hmm. And all she really wanted to do was just be alone so she could cry. (laughs) So she completes this workshop, but she's still on her program, spending her days in the glass box, being on bands with the entire school. So she's not allowed to talk to anyone except her two student supports. Her first assignment was to make a list of 100 things she hated about herself. Okay. Wow. The worst part is that she knew the more she added to the list, the more she would get encouragement and like, good job. Oh my gosh. So the next assignment was to go to every student and every staff member and get two things from them that they liked about her and two of their harshest critiques about her. What the hell kind of shit? The hardest part was asking Luke for his judgment. Oh. And he doesn't give it. He gives her two compliments and tells her to make up her judgments for him. Which I thought was really sweet. That is really sweet. That is very nice. The program lasted two months. And it's definitely like an electric shock to the body to finally be able to communicate with other people. Mm -hmm. Because she was not allowed to talk to anyone. And because of the incident with Kristen, Elizabeth gets a new advisor, Monica. And Monica has no time for bullshit. She's no-nonsense hard-ass and expects her to completely comply with the standards of the school. Yikes. And Luke is really the only thing that keeps Elizabeth from, like, full-on, full-blown depression. Right. And he always reminds her that, you know, Carl Brook isn't forever. He goes home for his first home visit and doesn't return. (gasps) And doesn't tell Elizabeth that he's not coming back. Oh, no. Poor Elizabeth. And Alan just tells everyone he didn't get on his plane for return. So that's the end of that, kind of. So the next workshop is Animus, the Passion Workshop. They start with their honor lists, but with a fun twist. It has to be done out loud. What the fuck? So at this point, Elizabeth has been at Carlbrook for eight months, and the completion of this workshop meant that she would be considered an upperclassman. The next exercise called for them to be, quote-unquote, knights, and say what they were fighting for, basically. Mm -hmm. So Elizabeth says she was fighting for a purpose, because at that point in her life, she felt so utterly directionless, which, again, every 16-year-old feels that. Like, right. It's normal. So the next exercise is for them to put a towel in their mouth. So they're like basically on their knees and they have someone standing behind them. They put Mm -hmm. this towel in their mouth and they have to bite down while the student behind them pulls up on the towel to create like tension in the jaw that could almost pop the jaw out. And they had to do this for the entire length of the song, Eye of the Tiger, as it played in the background. What the? This is so fucking bizarre. This is so weird. Make it make sense. Right. So now the next day, the first exercise they have to do, in my opinion, is disgusting. They are paired up and meant to direct their partner into a statue position of the lowest point in their lives. So Brittany and Elizabeth are paired up and Elizabeth has Brittany bend over like she was snorting a line of coke because that's what Brittany was kind of there for was drug use. Mm Mm-hmm. Brittany had Elizabeth on her knees with her mouth open. Oh, no. Oh, no. And there were a bunch of other statues in the room that we're not going to talk about that I have a lot of thoughts about. Oh, yikes. I can just imagine. I can imagine. The next exercise was for them to draw their nightmares and the drawing would then be taped up on the wall. Right. This was followed by a tug of war. Team life versus team death. And what Alan was not expecting was for team life to win. He wasn't expecting that? Uh, he wasn't sir? expecting. He thought they were all team death was going to win. So we had them all line up uh, and choose either life or death. And Elizabeth was kind of in limbo. She really wasn't sure, but she was like on the, the edge of life near death kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
And Monica was like, are you sure about that? Get over there with death where you belong. Uh, excuse me. That this, they were eventually let go at 4 a.m. The next morning, it began again. This time they were on a shipwreck with only one lifeboat with four seats for 16 <clears throat> students. <clears throat> and they had to pick who was worth saving. So they went around in a room, the room and basically said, not you, not you, you. Wow. And someone would keep tally of that. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth was one of the least worth saving at the end of the tally. This is wild. And Monica kind of like, Monica kind of like throws it in her face. Like, do you even matter? Your parents must be so disappointed. And she had to figure out why she was worth saving because she was starting to agree with Elizabeth's classmates that she wasn't like... So next they played extreme musical chairs where they all had to fight for a seat on the lifeboat, like crawling and scrap. Like it was intense. Now they had to write their own obituaries. Okay. Pretend they were at their own funeral. Okay. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And she really eloquently puts it this way as it was the opposite of an exorcism. Alan wasn't trying to cast out our demons. He was trying to bury us along with them. My heart, like, broke for them reading that. This has to be, like, the exact opposite of what you would want to do to treat someone with depression. Like, dead ass. Right? Yeah. So, the workshop ends with a candlelight vigil, and they all stood together arm in arm while You've Got a Friend by Carol King started playing. Oh, my gosh. Stop. Elizabeth danced. Like, they had, like, a small little dance party, and she danced because she had to, not because she actually wanted to. Oh, my gosh. And... Again, she has a beautiful line where she says, uh, it's not beautiful, it's sad, but like beautifully written. Right. In my mind, I never left that invisible coffin. I was waiting to be buried because I felt as about as good as dead. Like, that's what the school did to her. Matthew literally has a coffin uh, dice box on his desk right now. So after that workshop, <laughs> Elizabeth really hit rock bottom understandable now she spends a whole chapter talking about the ways she considered suicide i'm not going to repeat them because it's it's very dark and it's yeah, not something that i can imagine i want to talk about so during this low monica puts her on program to try and figure out why she's having these feelings and during this program she actually has a moment of clarity that she wasn't going to let carl brook kill her and she only had a few more months left so she celebrates her 17th birthday this time with her friends she gets a nice cake like she, it's finally a birthday she can enjoy. Wow. So she's been there for like a year and a couple months now? Yeah. Holy shit. That's no, crazy. she's Yeah, pretty much. So the next workshop is Tenno, which was apparently the scariest. Oh, no. It's, it lasted four days. And Elizabeth's memories of the workshop are a bit hazy and just really in small fragments. Right. But the theme of it was me versus I. Uh-huh. The workshop included, included individual guided meditation and I honestly can't tell you what happened. She explains what happened, but even, like, I don't understand it, the way that she, what she went through and the way she put it. So if you want to understand it, feel free right. to read the book. I encourage everyone to read the book, but I was just confused by it, and I'm not going to try and repeat it because I don't want to be wrong, get right. it wrong. Right, So after the workshop, they were required to do like a talent show almost and they were basically assigned their talent Mm -hmm. to perform in front of the school and elizabeth was assigned this to sing alive by j-lo which like i'm sure she crushed it because she's amazing right 
And Charlotte had to do an interpretive dance to the song I Hope You Dance by Liam Womack, which, like, don't even get me started. That was yeah. my song. It was a great I song. I fucking loved that song. So on point with those songs. But Elizabeth says that the Charlotte on that stage wasn't the real Charlotte, but the girl that had been molded by that place. Yikes. And when she gets on stage, Monica kind of gives her, like, the shit-eating smirk. Like, mm-hmm. she knew who the real Elizabeth was. Right. And Elizabeth says, you know, she was right. I did want to live, but not for the reason she thought. Carlbrook wasn't wasn't saving me. It had almost destroyed me. And living in spite of that almost felt like an act of defiance, which was so sweet. So a year after she was taken from her bedroom, Elizabeth gets her first home visit. Uh. She contemplates running away when she's at the different airports. Right. But she feels like someone is watching her. Right. She just is so paranoid that she doesn't do it. Her family had moved to a new town since she had started at Carlbrook. Mm Mm-hmm. And her father was, because her father had gotten a new job. Uh Uh-huh. And she was meant to tour a new high school while Uh she was home because when she finished Carlbrook, she would be 17 and her parents didn't think it would be a good idea, like, to be out of school. And out of that structure. So they wanted her to go to a new high school. And she wanted to go back to her old one. But, like, they were very... Right. So when she gets home, she feels very isolated from her family. The bedroom that was hers, like, looked like her old one. But it wasn't really hers. It was almost like the bedroom in Coraline. Yes. Where it was, like, it was her bedroom, but it wasn't. Right. And she looks at these photographs on the wall. And there are some that she recognizes. Mm -hmm. But even more that she doesn't right and to see like her family has lived this life without her that's so sad and she was just shipped off it was like so heartbreaking yeah so she tries one more time to convince her family to let her come home and again they argue Mm -hmm. and won't let her but they do agree that she can go back to her old school and stay with her friend Mm -hmm. to finish out the year which is like isn't that the place you wanted to get her out of but okay yeah she says it's because like they caused enough damage that they were just gonna let her do that so As graduation loomed, a special group was formed to make it seem like the group had targeted programs Uh for, like, special problems. This one was for drugs and alcohol. And in the group, Charlotte and someone else admit that sometimes they think about going back to drugs when they get out of the school. Like, sometimes they think about doing it. Right. The group leader says, it's good to try to avoid, but to use the skills from the workshops to do it. And I was like, what fucking skills? What did they learn? Ma'am, this like, is an Arby's. <laughs> so the group actually only met mo- met once. So, so now the last workshop. Venerado? Venerito? Vener- I don't know. Vener something. <laughs> the workshop lasted five days. And it was a workshop of reflection, really reviewing what they learned from the previous workshops they had an alumni come in and say how great life is after and how she still rely still relies on the tools she learned at Carlbrook. and i was mm-hmm. like how much did they pay this actress how yeah, much literally. did they pay her scientology i know it's you <laughs> <laughs> so on the fourth day was symbolic exercises quote unquote <laughs> aka they were told to march around with a cement block in a circle then there was a metaphor with a balloon about their vices. It was just very convoluted. So on the last day, they had their, quote, last supper. I don't um, like that. Unquote. Right. <laughs> and they went around in a circle saying what they were grateful for. 
And Elizabeth internally thinks, like, I'm grateful this place didn't fucking kill me. <laughs> Love that. And on graduation day, Elizabeth is like, GTFO, wash my hands of this place, get me the fuck out. She quickly says goodbye to her friends, but ultimately just wants to get in her parents' car and, like, leave. Yeah. When she gets home from Carlbrook, she seems to be even angrier. And everything is kind of just building and building. Right. Until a pin drops and she just unloaded on her parents in the car with her sister there. Right. Her 12-year-old sister turns around, turns to her and says, shut up, Elizabeth. Excuse you. I know you're a drug addict (gasps) and an alcoholic. That's why mom and dad sent you away. Oh, my gosh. And the way I would have beat the ever-living shit out of one of my sisters if they said that to me. Literally. So, Elizabeth in turn, tells her she doesn't know what she's talking about because she doesn't. No, And proceeds to throw a cup of milk at her, which is, like, iconic behavior, but (laughs) okay. She, like, reflects, like, being emotional like that at Carlbrook was encouraged. Right. But at home, it was looked at with, like, a lot of concern. Like, why is she having all these emotional outbursts? Gosh. And her parents could not see how scarred she was from that place. It's exactly how Paris Hilton's, like, parents were. In the documentary, mm-hmm. they're like, no, that was fine. It's insane. It's insane. So by the weekend, she was... Sorry. So she survives the next couple of days before going to her friend's house before school started again. By that weekend, she was back at another high school party, restarting her fir- flirtationship with Nick, who was now in college. Oh my goodness. And... College man. She had a real hard time relating to her friends now. Because, you yeah. know, most friends don't resolve conflict by hurling insults at each other like she was taught to. Right. Which, fair enough. So, a year after she got out of Carlbrook, she had a Manhattan reunion with Charlotte and Maya to celebrate New Year's Eve. There was some drinking, a lot of drugs, you know, the usual New York City New Year's Eve party. Right. Typical. Right. It also made Elizabeth realize that she needed to put some distance between her and Carlbrook. So she ends up road tripping to California, even finding out that Luke is now living there. Right. And he actually comes to her rescue after her car breaks down. Mm-hmm. And the two ultimately end up starting a relationship. <gasps> Yay. <laughs> I was rooting for them. OTP. She had no idea what she wanted to do with her life. And California just seemed like the place to figure it out. Because remember, she always thought of California as home. Mm-hmm. So she admits there are multiple times that she and Luke probably should have died. <laughs> There were a lot of them. She mentions a car accident, a lot of drugs, you know, the usual. Right. Elizabeth finds out shortly after moving to California that one of her classmates from Carlbrook had been murdered. Trevor, one of her friends, one of the first people she met when she was there, Mm -hmm. he had been stabbed in the neck in his Miami apartment. Yeah. The funeral being held in his native California, Luke and Elizabeth do attend. And in attending... They run into Alan. Oh, no. The poor things. I would literally just, like, start beating him up. Beat on him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it just brought back so much pain and, like, memories. And on the way home, she and Luke really pour out their feelings about their experience at Carlbrook mm-hmm. what, for what was ultimately a very cathartic conversation, I imagine, for both of them. Right. She doesn't go into detail about what they talked about, but that's none of our business, so... But as the relationship continued, it became more about drugs than each other. Mm -hmm. And she spent most of her time stumbling along through alcohol and drug hazes. And it only got worse after she and Luke broke up. She considered checking herself into rehab one day, only to wake up the next and decide not to. 
for her, it was just easier to run away from her problems than to actually face them, which is fair because she was never taught to do that. Right. And that's also like a very young person thing to do. She's in her mid-20s at this point, I'd say. Oh, okay. I thought she was like early 20s still. I'm like, that's very like young person. Elizabeth ends up meeting a man and running away to New York to be with him. Oh, no. He gets her uh, an internship that turns into a full-time job at Vogue. Like, fancy schmancy, who is this man? Yeah. Wow, I wish. She would keep in contact with her Carl Brook friends until eventually she didn't. Mm -hmm. She just wanted to completely forget the experience altogether. Understandable. Just like... Block no. it out. Right. So in the summer of 2015, she's back in LA. The relationship with that guy is over. She's finally found her life passion in acting and is really on the up and up. You know, she hasn't been doing drugs for a while. She's not really drinking. Right. And she gets a co- phone call from one of her school friends that Maya, sweet Maya, sweet baby angel Maya, oh. had committed suicide. Oh, she no. had jumped off a bridge oh, the Saturday no. before. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's. Wow. Okay. Wow. In the final chapter, she gives her first truly honest disclosure circle. She admits that she's not free from Carl Brook. She probably never will be. Right. That she suffers from depression, that she's always been ruled by her emotions. She still has a hard time with trust and she didn't go to Maya's funeral. Losing Maya had really cracked Elizabeth into pieces. She didn't go because she wasn't ready to face the past like that again right or yet and she really wanted to write this book for the people she had met that really deserved different endings as she put it so, so beautifully that's really sweet and for the survivors to know that they weren't alone a small little update that's at the end the afterward mm-hmm. carl brook permanently closed in december of 2015 citing declining enrollment to which i said and this is also mentioned in the afterward but Sure, Jan, we're not going to talk about Forrest Ferguson, who went missing from the school in 2010 and was never found. Yeah, that's... that's we're not going to talk about that, though. Right. We also find out that Kristen did not, in fact, end up dead in a ditch. After their graduation, she sent a postcard to Charlotte. She was very much alive and well. And the book is a memory of all the friends that she had lost. And it is a heartbreakingly long list. And that is Stolen by Elizabeth Gilpin. That is insane. First of all, wow, that was great. I'm definitely going to tell my mom that she should read that. My mom likes human interest books. She has, like, very similar interests to you, honestly. She loves, like, like just human interest stuff like this. Like, yeah. she, this would be so up her alley. My mom reads about one or two books a year because she's a teacher and busy. <laughs> um, it's but, a short one. It's under 300 pages. Yeah, that's what you were saying. So I'm definitely going to... Um, maybe I'll pick it up and and give it to her so she can, you know, read at her leisure. Yeah, no, it's absolutely insane. Like, I just want to hug her and tell her it's going to be okay. I can't believe that they are allowed to function like this. I can believe that it happens, but I, it sickens me that it's allowed to happen. Yeah. And she says, um, in her acknowledgements that she thanks her family for being so supportive of her telling her story and how... Mm -hmm helpful they were during this writing process. Right. So she's definitely had that communication process with her family, which I think is great. Right. I'm curious how... And I feel for her. How receptive her fam- her parents were, um, particularly, about her opening up about yes, this Yes, I am all. curious. Like, it's not... I, yeah. I don't... I'm not owed that information, but yeah. I'm just very curious of how that all went down, because I can imagine yeah. many different ways. Yeah. I can too, because how much 
time has opened their mind, I guess. Yes, ex- that's a really good way to put it. That's exactly what I'm wondering. Especially because, <laughs> especially because it's like um, you sent her there in the first place. So clearly you yeah. thought there was something worthwhile in that program. Yikes. Yeah. So what was it? Yes. That- yes. Oh my gosh. I hope Lynn Ann Moore and Randall Moore are in prison. I really do. I hope they're rotting in hell. Oh, she said what she said. I did. You can't well, do this to children. That's disgusting. Yeah. It's she does a whole thing about the troubled teen industry. And again, I really encourage everyone to read this book because I just hit the high points. There's right. so much in this book that just like this poor girl. This I know. Sweet innocent baby. I can't believe it's it's disgusting that this is an industry. That's for sure. I know. It absolutely so is. So gross. Disgusting. I mean, and it is absolutely an industry. But I digress. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bookaholics Pod. Please leave us your comments. Send us any books you recommendations you want to hear us talk about. Yes. Please. And you. Yes. And you can find me on Twitter at French Toastics with an X and on Instagram at Francesca Hope. And where can they find you? You can find me on Goodreads, Alicia Reads 13, or on Storygraph, the way better version, Alicia Reads. (laughs) And we'll see you for the next one. Bye.